Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Anybody ready for the word? Say amen. I'm ready enough for all of us. Uh, Go to the third John, the book of third John, and pick any chapter you want to go to in third John, and it will work, okay? Third John, and it's a crowd choice on which chapter you go to. There's only one chapter. That's why we do that. Okay, verse number two. We're going to start a series called Soul Food today. Uh, We'll talk about this week and next week, just kind of like the state of our soul. Um, And look at what uh, this verse says, verse 2 of 3 John chapter 1. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper. We love that. He says, and be of good health. And we love that. But then he puts a, I guess, a condition on it. He puts a connection to it. He says, well, and you'll prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So in other words, if the soul's not going where it's going, not needs to be going, if it's not prospering, these other areas of focus are, are gonna come up short. And we, we like to focus on those first two areas. Prosper, let's, let's say if that has to do with a prosperous bank account, we're all about that. And some of us, when he says prosper in good health, and some of us get very passionate about being healthy and in good health. Um, but then this last one maybe is the one that gets focused on the least by most of us humans, which is the, the soul prospering. And he says, I, I want those things to prosper, but only in relation, only if the soul is prospering as well. And so within this, uh, this series we'll do this week and next week called Soul Food, title of my message today is just called this. It's called Appetite for Destruction. Appetite for Destruction. Uh, let's pray real quick. We'll pray and ask God to anoint this. We'll pray that we hear from God today. This is not just an exercise. This is not a speech. I'm not here to give a speech. No, I'm here to talk for God. And we're going to pray that we hear from God today. Will you pray that with me? Lord, you're good and your word is enough. And so I pray fresh anointing on this word. And uh, I pray you'd let us hear what you would have to say to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we're going to do a little scientific experiment. I'm, I'm asking Brad. Uh, Brad Ward's going to come help us. Brad, where are you at? There you are. Hustle up here real quick, Brad. Brad's going to help us with a, go ahead and give him a hand. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that running. Look at that effort. I love it. Um, he, we're going to do a little scientific experiment that all of you get to witness. This is big time stuff here. Um, and so we're going to do a little taste test. We're blindfolding Brad um, right over the glasses. That'll work. And... Um, we're going to have him do a taste test right here in front of all of us, and we're going to see which one is best. We've got some of the finest foods in all of Orlando, and so you can go ahead and kick in there whenever you want. Take your first bite of that dish there, and uh, <laughs> amen. And so he's going to taste that. we got some water there to wash it down to cleanse the palate, and uh, he's going he's gonna to end up voting on which one is the best. Uh, while he's working on it, we could do our own little vote because he can't see it anyway. So how many of you would say that uh, your favorite is uh, this one right here? Can we, can we get a close-up of that? How many would vote and say that's your favorite of, of these? Okay, some of you. How many of you would say that this is your favorite of these? Okay. 
And then how many of you would say this is your favorite of these? Okay. okay, and a lot of you didn't vote at all because you're afraid of being judged by the person sitting next to you. I'm just saying of those three, which is your favorite? I'm not saying that you eat there all the time. Relax, everybody. All right, Brad is on his third bite and he's almost ready to, uh, he's almost ready to tell us which one is the best. Okay, you've tasted three gourmet lunches. Um, which do you, which one was your favorite? One, two, or three? Number one. Number one was the favorite? Oh my goodness. And that's Burger King. Hey. Don't sleep on Burger King, apparently. Burger King won in the first service as well. And which was your second favorite? This one right here. Wendy's was the second favorite. Wendy's. And McDonald's, McDonald's coming in a strong third. Brad, let me ask you one question. They were all they all tasted pretty good though. Pretty good, yeah. All right, give Brad a hand as he goes. Thank you so much. They all tasted pretty good. And that's really what I wanted to focus on. I'm surprised at our results so far. But what I really wanted to focus on is this. It's amazing how easy it is to crave the things that are least good for us. I mean, it's, you don't even have to try. You don't even have to develop the appetite for that. Like we just, we just love, if something tastes decadent, if something tastes amazing, if something is really a strong craving, about 90-some percent of the time, it's something that's not as good for you. Very few of us have ever gotten to the point and some of us have, some of you have, and it's been, so if you have, way to go. I probably, I mean, I've, I've touched this a couple times in my life, but where you'd like, sitting there going, man, you know what I'm craving right now? Is some steamed broccoli. Just, I would just, that sounds so, very few of us ever get to that point where we crave the things that are best for it. It's just like there's this natural draw to the things that aren't so great for us, and it's the same with our soul that a lot of times our sinful nature will just kick in without even thinking about it, without having to develop it, and we start to crave the things that are ultimately, it gives us an appetite for destruction. First Peter talks about this. Chapter two, this is what Peter says. We're gonna start in verse nine, go through nine through 12. If you don't have a copy of God's word, it'll be on the screen behind me. But Peter says this, and verse 11 will be our focus verse today. But we're gonna read some context because it helps uh, the power of verse 11 when we read what's around it. Verse nine, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And the people of God just said amen. That's powerful there. And you, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now verse 11 is our key verse. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. 
Peter's talking about like the prospering of our soul here. And it gives us some warning that there is something going on that is at war with your soul. And when we think about the soul, like in religion and in philosophy both, really the soul is the immaterial aspect. It's the essence of a human being. Uh, it's that which gives us our individuality or our humanity, um, often, often, often synonymous with like mind and self and heart. As a matter of fact, it, biblically, the soul would be the entire inner self. You could look at it that way. So biblically, the soul is the entire inner self, the entire inner person. It's the part of you that consists, a lot of people would say, uh, the mind, the will, and emotions. The soul would be the mind, the character, the thoughts, the feelings. Um, it, the, the, the soul constitutes everything. And it's the soul that goes on after the body dies. It's the soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And if that's true, and it is, then we don't spend probably enough time thinking about the state of our soul. We don't spend enough time needing to understand what we need to understand, what we know, knowing what we need to know to understand the condition of our soul. St. Augustine of Hippo said this. It's a really, really profound quote. He said, take care of your body as if you were going to live forever and take care of your soul as if you were going to die tomorrow. Isn't that good? Yeah, Peter, Peter was giving us some things that we might need to know when it comes time to, when it comes to taking care of our soul. And the first thing we would need to know as we take care of our souls today would be this. Know the presence of love. The presence of love in your life. Now verse 11 started out with something that maybe you overlooked because it seemed like it was just a little part of the greeting or something like that. I, I personally believe that these first couple words of verse 11 were of supreme importance. This is how he started verse 11. He said, beloved, I urge you. Beloved, I urge you. Peter is finding the most affectionate language that he can find. He's coming up with the most meaningful, the most love-filled wording that he can, and he calls them beloved. And he's, he's communicating, yes, his own love for them because he's getting ready to give them some guidance. He's getting ready to give them some truth. But before that, he says, I love you. You're my Beloved, I urge you because I love you. That's what he's saying. But I believe he's not only just talking about his love, but he's talking about God's love for God's people. And he's starting out by saying, you're loved. And so can I start out today by saying to every person that's taking part in this service, whether you're in this room, whether you're at one of the campuses, whether you're on a screen somewhere else, can I start this message by telling you this and reminding you of this, that you are loved you are greatly loved. You're greatly loved by people in your life. You're greatly loved by your pastors. But you are, most importantly, greatly loved by God. You are God's beloved. And with that, like that has to be the starting point at which we approach the teachings of the Word of God. It has to be the starting point every day when we try to live our life to glorify God. It has to start with the fact that God loves you. You haven't done too much. You haven't gone too far. You've not said too many negative things. You've not, you've not made too many mistakes. No, listen to me. God still very much loves you. And it's important that you understand that and feel that and receive that and believe that. Through the years, I've counseled 
countless numbers of families through the decades of, of ministry, even here at this church. And I've met with so many parents who at this, were in a season with maybe teens where there was some relationship fracture going on and maybe some disobedience and maybe some, a little bit of rebellion and uh, maybe some disagreement on how we see things. And so I've met with so many different families. And in almost all of those counseling sessions, there's one thing that has happened in almost all of them. And it's this, I will try to uh, achieve a common ground of love. I will try to get all parties to agree on love. Here's what I would do. I would, a lot of times I'd meet with, with, um, with the parents and the, whoever in the family's there. I'd meet with everybody. Then I'd maybe meet with some of them separate. Maybe I'd meet with just the parents. And then maybe I would meet with just the teenager or just the students. And especially when I would meet with those students, so many times I would say, do you love your parents? A lot of times, like the emotion of the moment, the anger and whatever had brought us there would make that question difficult for them to answer. And I'd have to work with them a little bit because they'd say, well, but you don't, they do this and they, I know, but I'm just asking, do you love them? Like at the, at the heart of the heart, at the end of the day, do you love them? And then most of the time I could get them to be like, I mean, I guess. <laughs> All right, cool. And then this question was even most, more important in this moment, I would say, and do you think that your mom or your dad or whoever was there that, I said, do you think that they love you? I mean, I don't know. I said, really, you don't know? I mean, do you, do you, like, do you think, like even if they're doing, even if they're handling some stuff wrong, even if they handle the situation in, in the wrong way, do you think it's coming from a place of hating you or a place of loving you? Even if they put too many restrictions on you, is it because they love you and they're just misguided or is it because they don't love you, they don't hate, they, they hate you, they don't like you? Um, I, almost every time I could get this, the, the young person to agree, no, I, I think they love me. And I felt like that was important as we move forward to all the other negotiations, as we move forward to all the other reconciliations and all the other things that we were gonna talk about, it was important to start from this place of, I know, but they do love you, right? Because when I, when I realize that I am loved, I can now receive something from you in a different way than if I don't realize you love me. If I think you don't love me, I'll, re I'll receive what you're trying to, trying to give me, what you're trying to tell me, what you're trying to um, give me guidance and direction. It'll change everything once I realize that I'm loved. And so I want you to know that you are loved. Back to verse 10, Peter says, now you are the people of God. You are not, you, you, you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Why? Because God loves you. God's not your adversary. God's not your enemy. God's not given up on you. Listen, whatever God asked you to do, this maybe is tougher for some of us, and whatever God asked you not to do, it's because he loves you. That has to be the starting point as we talk about the health of our soul. That's how Peter starts verse 11. Beloved, I urge you. And then he says something else. He says, as foreigners and strangers, as foreigners, I urge you as foreigners and strangers. This was not some sort of diss or some sort of uh, negative thing. This was a positive thing. This was the power of loyalty. First, we have to understand the, power, the presence of love in our life. Next, we have to understand the power of loyalty. Peter is speaking to loyalties, and he's saying, you're foreigners and you're strangers here. He's saying, your greatest, he's like, beware of your associations. Your greatest associations, your greatest connections cannot be with this messed up world. 
He says, no, 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 you're foreigners, you're strangers in this world. Peter's wanting us to reconsider as we think about the state of our soul, we've got to reconsider what I'm most loyal to because what I'm most loyal to affects the health of my soul. I'll say it this way. Your soul will be healthiest when the world is the most foreign and strange to you. Can I say that again? Like the more strange this world, the more of, of, of an outsider I am in this world, why? Because my connection is bigger than this. My, my connection, my, my association is with God and with, with God's people. And so the, 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 the world should seem strange to me. And that the more the world seems strange to me, the more I'm a stranger to the world, the better the state of my soul. That's what Peter is saying here. If we go back to verse 9, this is how Peter described this whole phenomenon. Verse nine, he said, but you're a chosen people. What did he mean when he said you're a chosen people? It means that ultimately, sometimes we think we chose God. Sometimes we think we're doing God a favor by showing up or by giving our life to him. Like, I mean, God, I'll give you a try. I mean, I'll give you myself. I'm pretty awesome. No, no, no. You didn't choose God. God chose you. This feeling that you had that you could even think that you chose God, the only reason why you had that feeling is because God chose you. You're a chosen people. You're a chosen people. Peter says, amen. Peter says, you're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, that reminds us that we have a high calling on our life. That you're not just called to some low living, but a royal priesthood, a priest who would serve a king. That's what we do. A royal priesthood. Peter says, you're a holy nation. This is all talking about our associations, right? Like, where are our loyalties? We're a holy nation. That word holy means set apart. My loyalties have to be to a, a different nation. As much as we love America, America's not my number one association. No, the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm a holy nation unto God. Like, that's my, my Christianity is my number one association. He says you're a, a holy nation, and then he says you're a people belonging to God, a people for God's own possession. What's he talking about there? He's talking about ownership. That God ultimately owns us. And who has the right to speak into our life? Who has the right to say the tough stuff that's coming next in verse 11? It's the one who owns me. It's the one who loves me. And if I will understand that my associations can, can get me in trouble in my soul, my connections, the, 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 the people I'm allowing to speak into my life, the, the, uh, the accounts I'm allowing to speak into my life, the entertainment that I'm allowing to speak into my life, all of those associations can work against our soul. I heard this one story, and uh, it's, it's uh, about a farmer, and so it happened on a farm, and so uh, he had some crows that were messing around with his crops, and so he went to take care of it, and he went and got a shotgun, and he started shooting into the midst of those crows, and uh, if this is starting to get offensive uh, to some of you, then let's just call it a fable. This never really happened. Amen. It's just a fable. But it probably has happened. I don't know. Uh, so there's these crows, and he gets this shotgun out, and he shoots, and then he's going out to, to pick up and clean up these fallen birds. And when he gets out there, he uh, comes upon a surprise. Their socialized parrot that they had as a, as a, as a uh, pet uh, was now there on the ground as well. And he's got a broken wing, and he's, he's kind of uh, moving around there in, in pain. And about the time that the farmer comes out and sees this, his kids come up behind him, and they're they're devastated, and they say, Dad, what happened to our parent? And the old farmer turned around to his kids, and he just said two words to him. He said, 
Bad company. Bad company. Bad loyalties. Bad association. Because the people, I've said it and I've heard it said so many times through the years, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But we could also say this, show me, show me your friends and I'll show you the state of your soul. Because that's how important our loyalties are when it comes to our, our soul health. Are you being intentional enough about your connections? Are you being intentional enough about your associations? Are you being intentional enough about your friends? Are you being intentional enough about who you follow, who you allow into your life? Because these people are feeding you on the inside. It's important. You need to ask yourself, are are these people helping me? Are these associations, are these loyalties, are they helping me? Do they fit together with what I'm called to be? Are they giving you life? Are they serving you or only taking from you? Are they building you up or are they tearing you down? Are they healing your soul? Think about it. We could have associations in our life that heal our soul or we can have associations in our life that hurt our soul. This is what Peter's talking about when he says, you're foreigners, you're strangers. And he goes on to say in verse 11, after he establishes the love of God, after he establishes the loyalty to God, he says, now, strangers and aliens, I want you to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. We need to know the price of lust. The price of lust, that's what he's talking about. Abstain from fleshly lust, why? Why is he asking the church, why is he asking followers of Christ to abstain from lust? Because lust has engaged a full out military campaign against your soul. There are desires, there are lusts, there are passions within us that are at war with your soul. This word abstain, it's a tough word. Because a lot of us, in our, in our human nature, in our sinful nature, if you want to say it that way, we don't like for somebody to tell us what to do and what not to do. I think it's why Peter established, you're loved, there needs to be the right loyalties in your life, and then he starts talking about the lusts. And he says, you need to some, some, abstain from some of this. You need to say no to some of this. That word abstain carries with it the meanings You need to hold back from this. You need to walk away from some of this. You need to avoid some of this, some of these these desires. Like this is our, this is part of our role now. Because God loves us, he's allowed to speak this into our life. And listen, some desires in your life are not necessarily bad desires. They become bad in the way that I fulfill those desires. Right, So they become war at my soul, not because the desire is necessarily bad, but because of the way I go to satisfy it. I'll give you an example. I may have the desire for intimacy with another human being. Well, um, I can satisfy that in the context of, of my marriage. It's not a bad desire. If I go satisfy that outside the context of my marriage, guess what? That's a bad desire. So a lot of times how you satisfy neutral desires, they can turn into war in your soul. But then... There are desires that are just evil. They're just sinful. They're just unbiblical. You don't even have to pray about it. There are some desires you don't have to tell me your convictions. You you can come and say, well, I'm not convicted about that. And I say, well, it doesn't matter if you are or not because the Bible's convicted about it. Like there are some things that the Bible is so clear 
that it's the kind of desire that's going to wage war. And what we do, sometimes without even thinking about it, is we allow those desires to develop. And we will figure out ways to defend them. We, they're, they're, they're against Scripture, but we allow them to develop in our life. And then we'll start to defend them. And then what happens when we start to develop them and we start to defend them, they start to destroy us. Last Wednesday night, we had a prayer service. It was so awesome. We do that on the last Wednesday of the month. It was a really great service. And I, I spoke a little word on, on um, warfare prayer. I spoke a little bit on uh, pulling down of strongholds. And in that talk, I talked about uh, kind of some of the enemy's tactics and what his mission is. And I talked about some of the, uh, the devil's limitations. And then we went to prayer, and it was awesome. And then after service, I had a young man come up to me, very sincere. He just goes, hey, I have a question. I said, yeah. And he goes, why do we talk about the devil so much? And I said, well, first of all, we don't. <laughs> but we do talk about him sometimes because the Bible talks about him. We're going to teach the whole Bible. And he goes, no, I just mean, why do we give the devil like so much credit or so much uh, time? And I said, no, well, I said, I think this is why. Because the Bible's talking about that we are in a spiritual war and that we should pull down strongholds. And if I'm in a war and I don't realize I'm in a war, if I'm in a war and I don't know my opponent, I am much more susceptible to damage than if I know my, 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 who my opponent is. I'll say it this way. Like, the termites in my house that I don't know about are way more dangerous than the termites in my house that I do know about. Because the termites in my house I don't know about, I can just be chilling on the couch and they are just destroying everything and I don't even know it. So I want to know about the enemy in my life. I want to know what's at war with me. That's why Peter says these desires that you've developed, these desires that you've even defended and said, no, 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 but this is how I feel and this is what I want. These desires are destroying you. And he takes the risk and I take the risk today. I'm telling you the truth. Why? Because you're loved. Because your loyalties are important. The English Standard Version says it to abstain from the passions. They call them passions. And these passions can start to develop. And they start to grow. And we be, watch this. We become passionate about lifestyles. We're passionate about them. They don't agree with the word of God. And we're, we're, we're passionate about the very things that are destroying us. Reminds me, years ago, I read about the way Eskimos will hunt for wolves. And I never would have thought this is the way it happened. But an Eskimo will take a, a very sharp knife and they'll dip it into the blood, the blade, they'll dip it into the blood of an animal and they'll, they'll set it out for that blood to freeze on that blade. They'll do that process again, dip it in the blood, allow it to freeze, and they'll continue that process until that blade is completely hidden by the blood of some animal. And then they'll take the handle of that knife and they'll stick it in the snow, leaving that blood exposed. And overnight, wolves will come out and their scent and their smells will take them to that blood and they'll start to lick that blood. And in their instinct, they love it. And so they'll start going after it. I mean, with everything, with passion, right? They're going, licking that blood, licking that. And pretty soon, the blood of that blade, it, the blood 
goes away, they're consuming it all, and now it's just a blade. But in their frenzy and in their passion, these wolves now are, are licking that blade and it's causing the inside of their mouth to bleed. And now the blood that they're consuming is not the blood of some other animal, it's their own. But in their passion, in their pursuit, they don't even realize it. The thing that they're most passionate for, the desire, is destroying them. This can happen to us. I'll say it this way, it can happen to the best of us. Church, hear me. Even the best of men and the best of women still need to be warned from time to time against the worst of sins. We can't get to this place of thinking, oh, I don't, I'm not that. I've been saved for 10 years. I've been saved for 20 years. You know who you're talking to. I've been saved for 40 years. I know. And there can still be desires that develop that will go to war against your soul. So I ask you to consider the health, the state of your soul. Consider these sexual desires, this, these, these, this greed, the jealousy, the lies, the deceit, the rebellion, these desires that can creep up in our life and go against what God's best is for us. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? To lose your soul is basically saying this, you've, you've wasted your life. The state of your soul is the number one concern of health in your life. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.